There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in Tampa Ranch, Michael Biden. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, retired NYPD sergeant from Manhattan North Homicide Squad, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. Tonight, I'll be flying solo. There's a lot of information on this case, a lot of new information, a lot of questions. You know, in homicide investigation, frequently people will say, oh, that couldn't happen or this couldn't happen. Sometimes the stranger it is and the freakier it, freakier it is, you know, the old expression, truth is stranger than fiction. And that happens a great deal of the time in homicide investigation. And we'll try to make sense out of some of the things that seemingly make no sense. How the slaughter of four college kids the age of 20 to 21 years old, how does that make any sense at all to us? The only thing you can think of is prayers for the families, prayers for the deceased. And it's inexplicable. You can't explain something like this. These are some of the things in life that we totally can't explain. Um, We do not have a suspect, the police say, after the Idaho killings. After four college students were stabbed to death, the police sought to downplay any wider danger, but with no suspect, they're not so sure. You know, for me, I that struck me as political in nature, that they were being somehow being told by a politician to, oh, play this down, play this down, let them know that there's no one else is in danger when they don't know. if I mean, if the perpetrator is still out there, in my mind, everyone is still in danger. And you to just say, oh, he just targeted these four people. You don't specifically know that. Three days after a gruesome mass killing left four students dead near the University of Idaho, the authorities said Wednesday that they still had no suspect and could not assure that there was no lingering threat to the community. Investigators had not recovered a murder weapon, but believed the four students, all friends who had seemed to be spending a typical Saturday night in the college town of Moscow, were stabbed to death. The authorities asked people to remain vigilant, watch out for each other, and come forward with any information that could help bring the perpetrators to justice. These murders have shaken us to our very core. Colonel Kedrick Wills, the director of the Idaho State Police, said at a news conference. Chief James Fry of the Moscow Police Department said there was no sign of forced entry into the home, which is a large rental just outside of the campus, and that the door was found open after police officers were called to the scene on midday Sunday, apparently many hours after the killings had occurred. Chief Fry said two other people were in the home at the time of the attack who were not injured, although he declined to say whether they witnessed the killings or disclosed what they shared with investigators. He said it had not been a hostage situation, but said the authorities had not been able to identify who might have carried out the crime. We do not have a suspect at this time, the chief said. Whoever committed the crime, he warned, is still out there. K-12 
Kathy Mabbitt, the Lake Tuck County coroner, said in a text message on Wednesday afternoon that she was still conducting the autopsies. Apparently, the autopsies are completed at this time. Um, as of yet, she said she had found nothing surprising or anything to contradict the early belief that the victims had been stabbed to death. Uh, and we know who the victims are. Just, again, a, a horrific, horrific situation. Um you know, some of the things that we're all concerned with, everyone wants to know the answers to the question of what did those other two girls that were in the house, did they in fact witness it? Are they eyewitnesses? Are they earwitnesses? Or did they sleep right through this and were unaware of this? I mean, it would seem that is a possibility, even though no one wants to believe that, it would seem that that could be a possibility because the crime wasn't reported till 12 p.m. the next day. This apparently occur happened, the killings happened between 0300 and 0400. That's 0300 a.m. and 0400 a.m. So what took so long? If they were witnesses, maybe they're not witnesses. Maybe Could they have been in the house as this occurred and slept right through this? Could that have happened? This apparently is a six-bedroom house. There is a possibility that that could have happened. I know no one wants to believe that, but you know something, as I said, truth is stranger than fiction many times. Let me just play this video here. Were the four college kids brutally murdered with a knife like this one? It's called a Rambo knife. It's got a seven inch long blade. You can see part of the steel blade is serrated. Detectives have been going to Sporting Good and other stores in the area to ask if they sold a brand like this made by K-Bar. The actual murder weapon has not been found, and police are searching dumpsters, hoping to find it. The mystery deepened when police revealed the shocking information that two other roommates were inside the house when the four students were slaughtered. Published reports identified the roommates as Dylan Mortensen and Bethany Funk, both 21. Have they lawyered up? Are they concerned about being questioned? Have, are they cooperating? It's my understanding that they're fully cooperative with investigators. The local police chief says cops weren't called until nine hours after the murders. You have surviving witnesses to an incident at three or four in the morning and the 911 call didn't come until noon. I don't think I ever said that they were witnesses. I said they were there. Um, so, you know, we don't know why that call came in at noon and not um, in the middle of the night. Well, I'm not going to um, go into what they shared um, that night. This is the house where the murders took place. There's a keypad lock on the front door, but friends say many people knew the code. Around the back of the house is a sliding door, which may have been unlocked. The house is large, six bedrooms and three bathrooms. Police aren't saying where in the house the four bodies were found. In a day of fast-paced developments, the manager of a food truck popular with students says he remembers victims Kaylee Gonsalves and Madison Mogan ordering food at 1.30 a.m. Sunday. That's only about two hours before they were murdered. He also noticed a man who appeared to be watching them, as seen in this video. Seems like a guy arrived similar to the same time that they do. Um, it seems like he almost looks exactly at the camera and then puts a hat on and pulls his hood up and then starts moving off to the side and then is hanging around the truck, seems interested in them, and then leaves around the same time that they leave. Police have not named any suspects, but are walking back their controversial claim that there is no threat to other students at the University of Idaho. We cannot say that there's no threat to the community. And as we have stated, please stay vigilant, report any suspicious activity, and be aware of your surroundings at all times.
A handful of students held a vigil at the campus gates last night. Many have fled the campus. Stand and join us in a moment of silence. The slain were also remembered at a University of Idaho basketball game last night. Kaylee Consolvis' sister, Autumn, warned other students to leave. If he is sick enough to murder four sweet, innocent humans so brutally, he's sick enough to do it to anyone. So, folks, uh, there you have it there. I mean, just, you know, horrific. But there, we, we got some information there that um, that there were two other students in the house at the time, two other roommates in the house. Do we know if they were witnesses? You notice how the chief quickly jumped on that journalist who said, oh, they witnessed. He said, I never said they were witnesses. I said they were there. I think we have to almost surmise that perhaps they were not eye or ear witnesses. You know, it's impossible to be an ear witness. They could have heard things. They could have heard the perpetrator. They could have heard the screams. But we have to somehow surmise that if it wasn't reported to 12 p.m. and it occurred at 0300, 0400, that's three in the morning, four in the morning, then perhaps they're not witnesses. The house is a big house, six bedrooms. Maybe they were dead asleep or maybe, you know, maybe they were out partying and they just passed out. So we don't know that. Snug with Pug, thank you for the 3099 Super Chat. Lots of love from Australia. Thanks for covering this. Thank you so much for um, contributing and supporting Police Off the Cuff, real crime stories. I mean, this is the type of story that I think we all, Magical Mary, how did the others in the house not hear anything? You know, Mary, as I said before, sometimes in homicide investigation and in life, period, truth is sometimes stranger than fiction. Could there be a possibility that they did not hear anything? It wasn't reported to 12 in the afternoon. So we got to think, unless they were so terrified that the perpetrator was still in the house, I think we have to somewhat say that there's a good possibility that they didn't hear anything or else would would they not have reported it? Um, I think so. There's a little bit from um, the lead prosecutor in the case. And again, there's so many questions everyone has in this case that are not answered. And, and the authorities, rightfully so, are very, being very close to the vest with this case and not... Um, not revealing anything. Lata County Prosecutor Bill Thompson. Mr. Thompson, good morning to you. Good morning. Police there have called this a targeted, isolated attack. Mm -hmm. Are investigators looking for a particular suspect or suspects this morning? At this point, uh, the investigators are looking at all possibilities. They don't have a specific suspect. They're continuing to work on that. Do you believe that whomever did this is still at large? Yes, we have We have no one in custody and the police have been unable. You know, that had to be one of the dumbest questions I've ever heard a journalist make. You think he's still at large? Obviously, he's not under arrest. What do you think he... he I just I can't I can't take it. Able to identify who's responsible for these homicides. Is it possible there's more than one suspect? 
it certainly is possible. Uh, that's the purpose of the investigation. That's why we're really hoping for any information from the public that can help the investigators recreate everyone's activities Saturday night and early Sunday morning, and hopefully give them the leads, the information to identify who, who did this. There's so many things about this case that are so hard to put together. Veteran police officers who arrived at the scene said it was one of the most horrific and gruesome scenes that they had ever seen. Yet somehow there were two roommates who were in the house who apparently didn't hear anything. Uh, what are the red flags you have there? And are those roommates considered persons of interest? Well, anybody who might have knowledge is considered persons of interest at this point. As far as suspects, uh, I don't believe so. Uh, the investigators continue to work hard trying to interview everyone who might have any information uh, and hopefully figure out and identify what occurred and why and who's responsible. As we understand the timeline, and we recognize that this is an investigation mm -hmm. very much ongoing, uh, the four came home you know, early in the morning, Sunday morning, let's say 1.45, 2 o'clock in the morning, something like that. The 911 call didn't come until midday the next day. Does that raise any red flags for you? How do you explain that? I think the investigators are trying to ascertain why there was a delay and uh, what what actually occurred, what was heard. Um, that's 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 a question that's still out there. And I know they're working on that. We're trying to assist them as much as possible with obtaining search warrants for data and cell records and social media and anything that might help. Do you know who called 911? Can you reveal who reported this? I, I can't reveal who, who made the 911 call. The police do know who made the 911 call, though. Obviously, we don't know anything about motive, but the mayor did initially refer to this crime as a crime of passion. Why, why did he say that? I can't speak for Mayor Betke. He, um, I, to my knowledge, there is nothing to indicate that this has been determined to be a crime of passion. We know it's just a horrible crime and four young lives have been lost. And finally, you know, initially, uh, investigators and the police had said the community has nothing to worry mm -hmm. about. Now they've sort of said, well, of course, we should be vigilant because there is a suspect or suspects still at large. What is your message to that community this morning? Well, I think the, the fact of the matter is that whoever is responsible for these murders is still at large. Um, the investigators do not know who that person is. Uh, from what they've told my office, they believe that this was what they call a targeted attack and not just a random act of violence. And uh, the, I think they tried to communicate that, but obviously that communication didn't work very well. Uh, it's unfortunate for any confusion in the community. People just need to be vigilant and help us however they can. We hope that we can identify who's responsible and get them off the streets as soon as we can. Mm -hmm. We're sure your mm -hmm. officers and prosecutors are working hard there. Thank you so much. Latah County Prosecuting Attorney Bill Thompson, thank you for your time this morning, sir. You're very welcome. Keep us in your thoughts, please. We will. We will. Thank you so much. So, folks, there you have it. There's not uh, one of the things I want to say early on in this investigation. It's so important the messaging that jurisdictions put out during these type of cases, getting the message out there to the community so you can use the community and use the press to help you solve the case. 
there was some poor messaging in the building uh, in the beginning. The mayor put out that, though, this is a crime of passion. First of all, I don't know why the mayor is talking about they should have the police professionals speaking to the press. He put out a lot of erroneous stuff. And then they also put out early on that there was nothing to worry about to the community. That's there's nothing to worry about if you have someone under, under arrest. Obviously, there's no one under arrest right now. So everyone has to be diligent because there's still a killer out there. I wanted to mention something about that. Uh, we showed it earlier on, that K-Bar knife. That's one of those big hunting knives. They called it, they referred to it as the Rambo knife. And in one part of it, it's serrated. And they know now, because the autopsy has been completed, the type of knife, they, they have information that it is that type of knife. And a pathologist can make that judgment through the type of wounds that the knife, that the knife leaves behind, as you could see when we sh I showed you that video, the blade on that knife is is at least six to eight inches long. It's probably an inch to an inch and a half wide. The blade. So when someone is stabbed with a blade like that, it it leaves tremendous trauma. And we had spoken last night about blood spatter and cast off stains and things like that, that are the, are the purview of the crime scene investigator. But without being too graphic, when someone stabs someone, even if it's overhand or underhand, they lift the knife back up and on the blade, there is blood. And what happens to that blood is it winds up sometimes on the ceiling or on the walls. And that's known as a cast off stain. And it's maybe not so important to the layman but it's very important to the crime scene investigator because they can read the crime scene and predict how and where and when and why and all of those things in regards to the crime scene. Where did the attack first occur? How many stab wounds were there besides obviously looking at the bodies during autopsy, looking at the crime scene and they can actually read the crime scene. One of the things that was revealed in the autopsy was the same knife was used to kill all four of the students. So is that in also indicative of the possibility if it was one knife used to kill all four students, was it also one perpetrator that killed all four students? That would somehow make sense. We spoke about last night, uh, on last night's show, I spoke about in a horrific stabbing like this, there's almost a 95 to 100% chance that the perpetrator uh, cut himself. So therefore left some of his own blood at the crime scene. I had suggested last night that one of the investigative checklists they should absolutely do is a hospital canvas. A hospital canvas to see if anyone came into a local emergency room or pick a radius, pick every hospital in a 30 mile radius and ask if anyone came in with a, a knife wound to their hand. Anyone have a, a, a cut to their hand and you should interview that person and find out, could that be the person that committed this crime? An investigative checklist in all stabbing murders a hospital camera should absolutely be made. 
if the perpetrator did stab himself, then he would have left his blood behind at the scene. Therefore, there would be perpetrator DNA at the scene. So all of these things are are investigative checklists, and I'm sure that the police know this, and they're gonna they're gonna do this, and they they're going to uh, look. They're gonna make an arrest in this case. There's no doubt in my mind they're gonna make an arrest. It's that we wanted the arrest today. We want it tomorrow. We wanted it yesterday, and. Uh, no time is soon enough for a horrific case like this. It has now been more than three days since four University of Idaho students were found murdered. And police are telling students and residents they shouldn't be concerned for their own safety. But that is hardly reassuring for the rattled community or for the victims' families who are vowing to find the assailant. Now just surface surveillance video is helping piece together a timeline of the hours leading up to the slayings. Here's Stephen Fabian. It's chilling video of two University of Idaho students hours before they were brutally murdered. Kaylee Gonzalez in the white hoodie and her friend Madison Mogan were at a popular food truck near the campus. Look, one man appears to be watching them. The time, 1.30 a.m. After ordering, Maddie sees a friend and embraces him. When their food comes, Kaylee takes a short video to post on social media, and they walk off together. Look, the man gestures towards them and then heads in the same direction. It's believed police know who he is. Kaylee's sister, Olivia, watched the video. Kaylee was aware of her surroundings, uh, maybe a little overly aware, which is also why all of this is so confusing to us because Kaylee's not stupid. She's a smart girl. She's a strong girl. She's a mean girl. She's a fighter. The night began at around 10.30 p.m. when the friends took an Uber to a downtown bar called The Corner Club. It was a party atmosphere with Kaylee and Madison described as being in good spirits. They left a little after 1 a.m., and that's when they stopped by the food truck. 1.56 a.m., the girls take an Uber home. They were stabbed to death between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. that morning, along with their friends Ethan Champin and Zana Kernodal. Very interesting how four students can be overcome by one person with a knife, not a gun. One possibility being explored is that the... You know... <laughs> I love her. You know, it, there is a possibility. We saw the size of that house, right? There's six rooms. Could the perpetrator have killed two uh, initially um, in, a, in a room together very quickly? Uh, Ethan Chapin and Zaina Canoodle, that I believe they were boyfriend and girlfriend, and then went on to kill the other two that were also in separate rooms. Uh, I think that's a possibility. The fact that there was no the other there were two other girls in the house and they didn't call it in or they didn't know what occurred till the next day at 12 noon. Something isn't right here. And or they were passed out or they didn't hear what occurred. Students were all sleeping when they were slain. The medical examiner described the crime scene inside the six-bedroom house as horrifying. It was very, very traumatic. Yeah. Have you seen anything like that before? No. Police have not identified any suspects and are appealing for calm today as frightened students flee the campus. We hear you and we understand your fears, police said in a statement. We do not believe there is an ongoing threat. 
Investigators say the murders were targeted. It's being called a possible crime of passion. Another theory is that it's a burglary gone wrong. They have ruled out murder-suicide. Kaylee and Madison were inseparable, lifelong friends. They grew up together, close as sisters. In a statement, Kaylee's family is speaking directly to the killer. We will find you. We will never stop. The pain you caused has fueled our hatred and sealed your fate. Ethan Chapman's parents are also speaking out. There's not drugs involved. There's not some weird love triangle. We will not let this sink us or sink our kids. Because if anything, they have to go on and shine Ethan's bright light. On their own. The day of the murders, the doomed friends posed for this photo, along with two other students. Kaylee posted one lucky girl to be surrounded by these people every day. A number of classes have been canceled indefinitely. One faculty member tweeting that he cannot in good conscience teach again until a suspect is in custody. So, folks, you know, one of the things we uh, we just learned there, and I don't know if it was evident to everyone, but the the autopsy has been completed. We just learned that all the victims were sleeping when they were attacked. So the the pathologist obviously, they, you know, the crime scene were, were, must have been around a bed or beds that all four of them were sleeping when they were attacked. I mean, when they talk about a crime of passion or a targeted attack, yeah, why would someone do this? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that, I'm not thinking it's a burglary, I'm thinking it's a robbery, I'm not thinking any of those things. I'm thinking there's a possibility that it could be unrequited love, that whoever did this um, was turned down by one of these girls and took it so hard that committed this horrific crime and i'm just i'm guessing i'm making a, a hypothesis you know that th that's what it seems like to me uh the potential for someone like that but these are all like all american type kids you heard the parents of ethan uh chapin say this is not a love triangle this is not about drugs it's any about the, you know don't ruin the, the don't ruined the shining light that was my son, you know? And in this case, it definitely seems that when they talk about targeted and they talk about a crime of passion, the police probably know a lot more than what is being released, obviously. They're not going to be releasing the most intimate details of this case because they need that. They need to hold things back in order to conduct a competent investigation and, and in order when they do arrest the person that did this in order to have things that was held back so that they can interview and interrogate this person that he will be the only one that they will be the only ones that know the intimate details of this crime. Therefore they can confront the perpetrator with the information that uh, that they have that hasn't been released to the public. But having said that, some of the most important things in regards to this investigation, of course, is the tips line. They have to keep this case alive in the public eye. They have to keep it on the media. A quadruple murder. How 
rare is that in anywhere in this country, anywhere in this world, a quadruple murder of college kids. It's it's horrific. It they they have to solve this case. There's no two ways about it. Uh, when they spoke about the investigation, they talked about how they had 25 investigators on this case. And in a case like this, I mean, I'm glad they have 25 investigators on. They could have more. Uh, luckily, they have the FBI is involved, and the FBI not only have great investigators, but they also have resources that they can bring um, to a case like this, resources in the way of financial resources. And with a case like this, there's got to be a blank check. There could be no cap on overtime. There could be no cap on investigative uh, resources that you spend vis-a-vis uh, -vis cell phone technology. We spoke um, last night about geofencing, and it's a fancy term. But geofencing is a technology whereby law enforcement can search a specific area at a specific time and find out all the cell phones that were turned on at that hour in that area. It's, there's a very good chance that they could use geofencing to identify the perpetrator or all people that were in the vicinity of that area during that time. It's a very expensive technology. It costs a fortune to do, but this is the kind of case that nothing at all should be held back. Every type of, every, um, every amount of money needed to be spent on this case has to be spent. This case, again, must, must be solved. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to this channel, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. If you want to contribute to our channel, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel memberships with five different levels. And you can see the folks in the font, uh, in the font, in the chat with the green font. They're part of our uh, YouTube uh, channel members, a part of our family. And they have been contributing uh, to Police Off the Cuff uh, for, for a long time now. On the screen is a pictures of, of the deceased, you know, when you talk about the all-American kids. what This is the, um, the, the video, or a still taken from the video by that food truck. And the person who apparently looks so suspicious to everyone, uh, according to the news, uh, to the reporters, that the police now know, he, know who he is. So is he still a suspect? I'm not, I'm not privy to that, I'm not sure, but um, knowing that the police know who he is is, uh, is a great thing in this investigation. So when folks say, oh, I know, that's the, that's the suspect. Well, if they know he, who he is and he hasn't been arrested, it, it may be that he's been eliminated at this point. On the brutal murders of the four University of Idaho students found stabbed to death this weekend, police believe two more roommates were home at the time of the killing. Kana Whitworth is in Moscow, Idaho with the details. Good morning, Kana. Yeah, George, good morning. So authorities telling us that those other two female roommates are cooperating with this investigation. But still, at this point, they have no suspect. They have no murder weapon and they have no leads that they're willing to share. What they do have is a college town. Some people are so afraid they're packing up and leaving, and the university is allowing students to be absent.
This morning, as the hunt for the alleged killer of four University of Idaho students intensifies, police walking back their original claims that there was no imminent threat to the community. We cannot say that there's no threat to the community. And as we have stated, please stay vigilant. Moscow police addressing the public for the first time since Kaylee Gonzalez, Madison Mogan, Shauna Kernadel, and Ethan Chapin were found brutally stabbed to death in an off-campus apartment. The four were stabbed with a knife, but no weapon has been located at this time. New video emerging of Kaylee and Madison in what would have been their final hours. The lifelong best friends seen here laughing and taking pictures as they order late night food around 2 a.m. By 4 a.m., their life was over. They were seen downtown and at a party. And not necessarily together, the four of them. And so really, uh, if any of the neighbors uh, in the area happen to have any relevant footage, uh, that's something that we would love to see. Authorities and Kaylee's older sister confirming that two other female roommates were home at the time of the attack and survived. And they were able to confirm that these two roommates were in the home at the time of this and they made it out the next morning. Police say there was no forced entry into the home. Does that lead authorities to believe that the attacker was someone they knew? Potentially. Um, part of what that helps us, leads us to believe is that this might have been more of a targeted attack. Relatives describing the house to us. When I'm looking at this door, there's like, a, it's like a keypad with numbers on it. Mm -hmm. But that's how they got in and out. Um, so there is that door. There's also a backsliding door. Um, and I, I will say, yes, there is that keypad lock on it. And my sister was absolutely a, a door locker. This was the party house and it's been generations. And so I won't say that uh, they were very private with that code. And police admitting they should have come forward with information sooner. Frustration See? comes from having lost some very critical first 48, now 72 hours. I don't know if my sisters wanted to be buried. I don't know if they wanted white roses or red roses, but I do know that they would want justice. Now our affiliate KXLY saying that those autopsies have been completed and the mayor telling me that can really give investigators a lot of information such as manner and time of death and even potentially they could collect DNA evidence that could help them track down this killer that George this morning is still on the loose. That is something. Okay, and thanks very much. Let's bring in former FBI agent Brad Garrett for more on this. Brad, what do you make of this revelation that the, about the two other roommates? I think it's, it's interesting and it's also odd I mean, if this murder occurred at four in the morning, they don't report it or someone doesn't report it till noon. What's that all about? They are the key, George, to this case. They were in the house. This type of killing, it's going to be loud, both by the suspect and the victims. It's going to take a period of time. It's obviously going to be very bloody. And I just don't really understand that. But they are really the key. It's a small town. The likelihood that they know who that person was in the house, I think, is reasonable. You say they're the key. What about the fact, are they suspects? Well, I don't think so. I mean, they, they're not talking about them being suspects at all. All I'm suggesting, it is an odd thing, right? If you're in a house, four people are brutally killed, and nobody contacts the police for another eight hours, there's a big issue with that. But no, they're not saying that. But you know, this case, George, is this going to be solvable? And I'll tell you why. It's because it's a small community between CCTV, cell phone coverage, who had cell phones out at four o'clock in the morning in or around that house. 
and just doing interviews. I just think this case is not far from being solved, but the police appear to be stymied based on their own comments. Yeah, I mean, they've said they said that there's no threat to the community and they took it back. So what are their next steps? So their next steps are the following. You really are going to have to do a complete detail of the the party that was prior to whatever was going on between three and four o'clock at the victim house. They were at another party. Who followed them home? Who's been dating whom? Who have had issues with people? You know, this this killer didn't all of a sudden show up at this house. He, he knew this house and he was able to get in, it sounds like, with little trouble. New details on the. So, folks, what the, the that FBI agent is referring to, and we spoke about it last night, is what's called victimology. And that is a study of all the victims. And one of the most important things, and you heard it a bunch of times, both from us and by these um by the police in Moscow is a timeline, establishing a timeline. Where were the victims prior to coming home? Who have the victims been dealing with? Uh, has any of the girls had problems with guys on campus? You know, as I spoke about unrequited love, did they turn someone down for a date or, or someone that was trying to date them? Um, there's no doubt someone in the chat uh, put the thing that whoever did this brought the knife with them to the scene. This was an unusual type of knife. This is a knife that's usually used for hunting. They, they referred to it as a Rambo knife, you know. And when, we when they talked about the passion of it, that I think the police, again, know a lot more than they're letting out right now. One of the most important things in these investigations, of course, is response to the scene, responding to that to that scene and securing that crime scene. And usually the first ones to the scene are patrol officers and their job of the first, the main thing is the protection of life to do a search of the house and make sure that is there anyone left there alive and then. Once they determine that, they should back out of the house and secure the crime scene so that as not to contaminate the crime scene. Because something in that crime scene forensically can point to who the perpetrator is. Interview all the 911 calls. How many 911 calls were there? Who were the 911 calls? I know that the FBI just said, the FBI agent just said that it's hard to believe that these two girls that were in the house didn't hear something or didn't see something. And the fact that they called at 12 noon, I listed the possibility that they, they could have been unconscious. You know, college students go out drinking and they drink too much and they go unconscious. Is that a possibility? I think it is a possibility. I can't see the possibility that they heard these things and they didn't call the police till 12 noon the next day. What time did these two girls get home? Were they were they there through this murderous stabbing event? We just heard uh, before uh, some new information that the coroner had reported that they were all asleep when they were stabbed. They're so obviously the crime scene, bloody, bloody crime scene, was in, in 
was in beds and probably on the walls of the, of the rooms that the, they were sleeping in. So all of these things were finding out new information. Of course, whoever the killer was knows about this house. How about they spoke about they had one of those pads that could open the door? You, We've all seen those pads, a combination pad. And it seemed that they gave the combination out to a bunch of students. So it could have been like common knowledge in the neighborhood. So therefore, there is no, there's no forced entry. There was no need. Maybe the killer had the combination to that door. Of course, the killer knew about this house. I, I think, you know, the canvas of the area, the canvas surrounding this house, canvassing all the surrounding houses and also a search of entry and exit because they've never found the murder weapon. They need to find that murder weapon. Search sewers, search garbage pails, and it, it's, it can be missed but they should get a hundred officers to search that whole area. Sometimes the NYPD, they pull recruits out of the Academy to do these massive searches because it's imperative. They find that. And as I mentioned before, the potential that the killer cut himself is very real. And he could have left um, his own blood inside that crime scene. The FBI agent who was on this also mentioned about, what I spoke about earlier, geofencing and identifying all the cell phones that were turned on in that area at that time. That is a technology that's available. It doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen in two days. It takes time to use that technology. Um, video canvas, so, so important. Did any of these homes in this vicinity have ring cameras? Did any of the homes have cameras? Did any of the Students or Ubers that potentially pulled up to the area, did they have cameras? Did they have any video? We, we saw the video from the food truck that established somewhat a timeline. Now this, again, the perpetrator was is no stranger to this area. Um, he knows, obviously, in and out, he knows this area. Uh, I can't really underline um, more about the victimology, and that's the study of the victims, which includes a complete timeline, a complete, I would talk to all their professors, I would talk to all of their friends, I would talk to all of their friends about potential boyfriends, about potential uh, maybe males that were bothering them. Uh, all of that is part of the victimology, and that's how uh, detectives solve cases. So, so, so important. And, uh, you know, we saw that we know that um, Ethan Chapin is a triplet. So he has a brother and a sister. And he was only tw 20 years old. And his family, his mother and his father had agreed to go on camera. And I just, it's painful to really watch them, uh, to watch them be interviewed. It's just uh, horrific to see the, these two these two people that now have experienced probably the most painful possible thing. You could lose a child. And he, as I said, he happens to be one. He's a triplet. And uh, I'm going to play a little bit of the parents being interviewed. Uh, Can you first just tell me how you guys 
are doing? That's a tough question. It is a tough question. Um, it's not something you ever expect to hear, ever. Like the call we took from our kids um, who were there. And you just expect to outlive your kids, honestly. I don't know. We're just trying to process it. It's not a call that you think that you're going to have to speak with the funeral home directors and the FBI and have it hit national news. I mean, I don't, we're more concerned, you know, Ethan was a triplet and that's a big thing. There's a couple of things. Ethan was a triplet and that's the most important thing for us because we have these other two kids that are very impacted by this um, and they need to be lifted up and cared for. Um, and I think the other thing that's important to us is the reason why we've agreed to do this is number one, you're local. And number two, it's important for us to get Ethan's story out. We don't really want anybody else representing him. And it's hard to have people speaking on his behalf. So we think it's best for us to do this. And you did say, of course, that he was a triplet and looking through the pictures he sent, like you said, they seem to be always together. I mean, they all went, did they all go to high school and then college together also? Yeah. Elementary, yeah. high school everything college they all went to the same university yeah i mean everything we travel we play we hike we, everything we do is all of us together i mean we're a pretty tight family did you say that they were the ones that called you about this happening yeah yes and then are you guys all back together now we are yeah we're in our home in northern idaho our summer home we're going to be here for a couple of days just to regroup a little. Yeah. And can you just tell me a little bit about Ethan? I think I was told he was very athletic. I think he played was it basketball and tennis or basketball. Just tell me a little about his interest. What did Ethan like to do? Anything. <laughs> he played you anything. name it, he played it, literally. Yeah. I think we just watched a thing from the university, spike ball champion, volleyball champion. I mean... Right. I mean, he just literally would play and do anything. He, he played club soccer for years. He was played, you know, we traveled, all of our kids are athletic and we traveled every weekend and it just, he was involved in anything. He just literally, he was, I don't know. He just loved to play everything. He did. All he loves sports. sports. I mean, our like our love language with him was sports. Like I literally watched, um, I follow like NFL football so that I can literally have a conversation with Ethan because I could, you know, send him a text message and, you know, that was, a, a, you know, I don't know, just everything. I don't know that and country music. I mean, yeah. you know, I, he's, he's funny. He literally, I, we were having, trying to have a conversation really quickly about our favorite mem memory. We can't come up with one. I mean, he literally lit up every room, every, everybody. He was friend to all. Um, he just... Amazing that they um, they have the strength 
even to speak. And I, and I believe that they're probably really good people that are speaking out to, to not just to keep alive the memory of their son, but to help other people, you know, and that's, uh, that'll be the legacy of their son. And, and, you know, the, the horrific nature of this, their son, Ethan, again, is, is a triplet. And anyone that, that knows anything about triplets or, um, or twins even, uh, it's, you know, when some, here, there's a picture of, uh, Ethan is the one on the left. That's his sister and his brother, and the triplets, twenty years old. Just if you think about how difficult their lives will be now without uh, without their brother, it's uh, it's it's just a horrific thing. This case, there's there's no two ways about it. This case has to be solved. There is no way, and I believe it will be solved. You know, and all the things we're we're hearing about. A lot of the the the, um, the, the new newspaper uh, writers, the broadcasters, that FBI agent, unless you're really working the case, we know what happens in homicide investigations. We know what happens in past homicide investigations. But this, like many other homicide investigations, is a unique case. Like, who would ever think that four people could be murdered and two other people in the house and either heard nothing or heard something and were too terrified to call until uh, eight hours later. I have a hard time believing that the two girls in the house didn't didn't phone it in. I, I got to think that, was there screaming? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, you know how college kids, sometimes college kids have, at all hours have uh, the stereo blasting, you know? Could that have happened? Could they, or could they have been in a room far away from where this occurred? You, I can't believe that they didn't call. Could it have happened? Yes. Look, there's unique things that happen on all of these cases. Uh, someone had mentioned in the chat, and I, I apologize because it passed by of who it was, because I think he said a couple of, um, let me see if I can find him in the chat, but he, had a couple of uh, things he brought up that were very interesting. One was that, um, oh, here he is, Avgo Gamer. Um, they may have been surveilled prior to the attack as well. Prior to the attack seems well planned. Avgo Gamer, I think you're correct in a lot of things as you said also that the perpetrator brought that knife to the scene because we know right now that each person was killed with the same knife. We know that... Uh, by the coroner and the autopsy said that it was the same knife used. Um, there was something else you said that I thought was very astute, that perhaps two of the girls were the ones targeted, and he didn't know that um, that Ethan, that Ethan, who was the one in this picture on the right, that he would be home. There's Ethan in the picture, in the middle of the picture with his girlfriend. Perhaps the other two girls were targeted. You know, again, all of the things we're, 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 hypothes we're hypothesizing, we're theorizing. We have no fact right now. But based on the circumstances, I think uh, your suggestions make a lot of sense. You know, I think that the suggestion that the perpetrator, of course, brought that sort of unique knife to the scene, which indicates that it was premeditated. 
that he had planned to do this. How long he planned to do this, we don't know, but he did plan to do this. Um, Margaret Hearn, please, sliding doors, easiest thing to break in through. Didn't they firsthand knowledge of admit as my criminal attorney, Joe Murray, has advised? Well, they indicated that there was no forced entry. Could the sliding glass doors have been unlocked and him just slide and they also had one of those locks that was a combination, sort of a combination, a, a keypad lock. And according to um, the sister of one of the victims, everyone had the damn combination. It was out in the community. It was out with, among the other college kids. You know how college kids are. They're very trusting. Uh, they don't lock doors. You know, they feel super safe among them, each other. And they don't sense... I don't believe they sense the potential danger out there. Uh, Miss Chris, they got home about 1.48 a.m. and they died about 3 to 4 a.m. I don't know how they've pinpointed the exact time of, day, uh, time of death. Um, forensically, um, body temperature uh, is one way that they can predict time of death. Uh, it's not that accurate. Um, Lividity um, is another way. Rigor mortis is another way. Um, so I don't know how they have it pinpointed to three or four in the morning. But I mean, look, it's 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 a it's a potential guess, but it makes sense. And perhaps these two girls that were could have been ear witnesses and they could have heard screams. But again, if they did hear screams, why didn't they call nine one one? I mean, that is baffling to us, to everyone who's following this case. That is totally baffling. I, I don't get it. Um, I, just, I, I really don't understand why you would not call if you heard uh, someone screaming. Um, just, just a horrific situation. And, and you know something, again, this, this case will be solved and... The forensic end of this case is just so, so, so important as that could be the smoking gun in, in this case. What is going to solve this case um, could very much be the forensic science of this case, the evidence, the physical evidence. Yes. Two other roommates were home during that violent attack, but were not injured in any way. We also now know uh, police were not called for hours after the murder took place. This morning, a new message from police in Idaho after the gruesome murders of four students. We cannot say that there's no threat to the community. And as we have stated, please stay vigilant. That's after police said in a statement on Tuesday, investigators believe this was an isolated, targeted attack and there is no imminent threat to the community at large. Authorities do still believe the close friends were targeted. We believe this was an isolated, targeted attack on our victims. We do not have a suspect at this time and that individual is still out there. Police still searching for the murder weapon. The four were stabbed with a knife, but no weapon has been located at this time. They say there were no signs of forced entry at the home where the bodies of Kaylee Gonzalez, Maddie Mogan, Zana Carnodal, and Zana's boyfriend, Ethan Chapin, were found. And now police revealing for the first time that two other roommates were home at the time of the attack, but were not injured. There was other people home at that time, but we are 
not just focusing just on them. We're focusing on everybody that um, may be coming and going. The two others have not been identified, and there are no details about what they might have seen or why it took so long to alert police. The victims had been found on Sunday afternoon by officers responding to a 911 call about an unconscious individual. But investigators say they think the four were killed early in the morning after going out. Zana and Ethan returning from a party on campus and Kaylee and Maddie from a bar downtown. Police are also aware of this video that they say appears to show two of the victims ordering from a food truck saying it could help them establish a timeline of events that night. The president of the University of Idaho, emotional. They were bright lights in our community and are deeply missed and remain in our thoughts and our prayers. If everybody was like Ethan Chapin in this world, yeah. it would be a better place. The victims' families struggling to cope with their sudden and shocking loss. I can't wrap my head around what Thanksgiving looks like or Christmas looks like or even like my day-to-day -day looks like. And again, with no suspect in custody, police are cautioning people to be aware of their surroundings. They're also asking the public for help with any information that could help them find this killer and solve this case. Back to you. All right, Gotti, thank you. Folks, you know, uh, we, we've heard so much about this case and they, they've, you know, some of the information that came out early, they've pulled it back, they've walked it back, but it doesn't change what occurred. Uh, Phil Leo, uh, without graphic elaboration for uh, for respect, there are martial arts, Kali, Penchik, Silat, and military edge weapon tactics that can kill rapidly, almost silently. Perhaps the perp had training. They, they, that's a potential, but I mean, when everyone is expecting that there was, you know, when we hear about these potential witnesses uh, that were in the house, however, didn't call 911 till 12 noon the next day. I want to hear once they make an arrest the explanation to that. Uh, I, I don't. It's inexplicable to me now. Uh, perhaps there is an explanation to it, but right now I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't see an explanation for it. Uh, but you know, we don't know the, the all the information, folks. If you're looking for an outstanding defense attorney in the New York City or metropolitan area. Joe Murray Germain, he's a retired NYPD police officer. He's an outstanding defense attorney. He's a big supporter of police off-the-cuff real crime stories. You can reach Joe on his cell phone at 718-514-3855. You can email him at joe at jmurray-law.com. He has a website, joe at jmurray, excuse me, jmurray-law.com. Joe's a huge supporter of police off-the-cuff and a hell of a great guy. Folks, um, we're going to stay with this case. Uh, I thank you for following it with us. Um, as new information comes out, some of the new information that we reported tonight uh, was the fact that the uh, pathologist reported that the same knife was used to kill uh, all four people in this house and that they were all sleeping when they were killed. That's information that is new to me. I had uh, not heard it uh, before, before tonight. Uh, 
Jim Mergle, not a crime of passion, a hunter who knows how to kill, in my opinion. Well, I mean, there has to be a reason. What was what was the motive to this? You know, uh, Seabreeze, this is one of the hardest cases I have ever heard. Um, after all, young people sleep in, in the so other two may have not heard. Yeah, um, after all, I think that's a, a possibility. Um, I mean, I, I don't think you can discount that. I find it inexplicable that had the other two roommates, the other two girls that lived in this house, had they been there and heard something, why would they not call 911 till eight hours later? I, that I have a big problem with. My only explanation would be that potentially they didn't hear anything. And is that a possibility? I mean, you would expect people that were stabbed to death to scream, you know, and to, it, for it to make a lot of noise. Um, so I, I apologize for being so graphic, but I don't know how to explain this in any other way. And... Um, Jeffrey S., wow, such a strong mom, so strong for a family. Unbelievable. I'll be praying for her tonight. You know, folks, uh, if you are a believer, you believe in prayer, I think you should pray for all these kids uh, that lost their lives in these attacks as well as their families. And as well as the um, in the University of Virginia, uh, three football players were shot to death by a former football player from their own team. Include them in your prayers, too. Um, Miss Chris, they haven't, uh, when you when you ask what floor did this occur on, that hasn't been released. They refused to release what rooms the victims were in. Um, so the, the police are, are holding certain things back. Um, again, that's smart to do that, to keep some things... Um, Close to the vest, we, you hear us use that term all the time because when they do finally make an arrest, um, they have to have certain information that they can interrogate the subject, the su suspect or the perpetrator or the arrested person. They need to interview him and he, they need to use information that only he would know and therefore... Uh, that's why they hold certain stuff back. Pamela uh, Gaunt, this is just so sad. It's horrific. You know, we use that word horrific because I don't know any worse word to describe this than a horrific situation. Um, Kim Allison, Sergeant Bill, such brave parents being willing to speak to the press. I think they're amazing, you know, amazing that they could do that. I think I would fall apart in a situation like this uh, if it was my kids. I just, uh, I don't think I would speak to the press. I think it's uh, it's admirable that they did because clearly they spoke to the press in order to um, in order to help other people. Not, it's too late for their son. Uh, Greg Butcher, you as a cop know damn well something smells fishy when it takes eight hours before they call 911. Greg, you know, I, of course it does. I would like to hear what the explanation is. Once they make an arrest on this, and they're going to make an arrest on this, there's no doubt in my mind. 
someone is going to get arrested in this case. But till then, um, Rousey, yes, they did say that. They said that someone, uh, the 911 caller, it was said in another report, was someone that came to the house around noon. So is it a possibility that the other two girls that were in the house, they slept through? Is that a possibility? I mean, it seems unfathomable. Uh, I've go gamer. I knew that you had some experience. Uh, 25 years retired cop, 15 years investigator for the Army. I knew you had some uh, tremendous information. Um, uh, Image Chidoro, I know a person who could sleep through a car hitting a house and sober too. Um, Iris Hewlett, no, um, the, the, uh, her question is, so no possibility a similar knife used by second perp. The pathologist is saying that the same knife, uh, it leaves, you know, it leaves its signature, this type of knife. The same knife was used to kill all four people. That's according to the, the pathologist that performed uh, the autopsies. So we have to take, I would think that would also indicate that if it's the same knife, it's the same perpetrator. Because we said initially, could there have been multiple perpetrators. It seems now that um, the fact that there was one knife and at the same knife to kill all four victims, I think that also um, indicates that it was probably one perpetrator. Uh, just uh, again, horrific. Folks, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, uh, Go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. And if you want to support us, uh, go on our Patreon. And uh, if you want to join our YouTube family, uh, we have five different levels. You can join our YouTube family. Folks, we're going we're gonna to stay with this case as new information comes in. I would love to say, be able to report that there's been, arrest, there's been an arrest in this case. And I can't wait to the day that that happens because I know it's going to happen and I want to be follow this up and report that the person that's responsible for this horrific crime has been arrested. But till that happens, I'm going to stay with the, with this case. Folks, I want to thank everyone for stopping by tonight. We covered this case um, two days in a row. Last night I had Phil Grimaldi with me. He couldn't make it this evening. Um, it's a little tougher to uh, to do it solo, but uh, I'm not complaining. I just want to, again, thank everyone for tuning in tonight. Folks, have a great night. God bless and prayers for these four kids that lost their lives and for their families. Have a great night. One episode. Just ain't enough